The views and opinions expressed in Media Litter Sandwich do not reflect on the views of the network, station, studio, website, sponsors, guests, hosts themselves, anyone or anything else associated or even not associated with this podcast. Maybe not even the person that said them. In other words, do your own research and do not sue anyone over what is said on this show. Welcome to Media Litter Sandwich. I'm Toden, and of course, you can find this at Toden.com, Media Litter Sandwich.com, Spotify, Mixcloud, Podbean, Stitcher, wherever, a ton of stuff, even YouTube. And you can find, and remember, if you're looking for the video versions, whatever you're listening to this for, you can just check the description. There's probably a link to the video version. And I say this because I want people to share it because you're like, I already found your podcast and listening to it. What more do you want? We'll share it, and when someone clicks on that link, they'll know where else to find this. And they could find a lot of different things, because punks hide. They hide everywhere. You don't know where they're going to be. They might be in your English book in your high school. You don't know. And um, with that, does that happen, Jeff? Is that something that happens? Go ahead and introduce yourself and let me know what you do. Well, uh, which part? The, 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 the punks in English class? Yeah, punks in the English oh, class. Of course. Just, uh, just about everywhere. <laughs> Go ahead. T- well, tell us what um, you do. Yeah, especially uh, the, the... So I am an independent author with uh, 23 books out, big range of science fiction and fantasy. I also head up a charity press that... Uh, caught our host's attention because we do uh, punk science fiction. So cyberpunk, steampunk, dieselpunk, et cetera, uh, to benefit uh, Paws Animal Rescue in Linwood. And his uh, reference was some of our books are used in currently six different high school systems and uh, one university. So we have uh, some punk sci-fi out there. Okay. So you have 20, over 20 some odd books. What, what I know you kind of said you're doing uh, uh, some punk stuff, but uh, like, 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 like what, what is it? What's going on? Um, so most of what I write is uh, research nerdery because that is my favorite part of the writing process is doing the research. I do a lot of things inspired by real world mythology. So I've got a series that is set in Seattle that is based on Celtic and Hawaiian mythology, lots of different world fey lore. So you get the traditional um, kind of European, but also Pacific Islander and Native American mythos and a bunch of other things tied in. Uh, Another series that is Norse Germanic witchcraft mythology that we just got the third book out. Lesbian Space Opera with Dragons is coming. Book two will be out this year for that series. And then I head up Writer Punk Press, uh, which is authors from around the world doing adaptations of classic works, but in punk science fiction. So like our first book was science was punk Shakespeare. So I did a science fiction uh, steampunk version of The Winter's Tale. Um, And we've got a big range each year. We put out the theme and let the authors pick what story they want to do, what punk uh, sci-fi genre they want to adapt into, and primary rules are just 
someone familiar with the original needs to be able to recognize it as an adaptation. And it must be kept PG-13 because these are used in schools. That, that, that's interesting. So this is kind of like the... Um... This is kind of like Pride and Prejudice with zombies, the um, the 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 sea commander with with or whatever something something with sea monsters, but it's all punk based and it's a charity uh, writing group. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So essentially, it started with uh, eighteen of us uh, six years ago that in the National Novel Writing Month boards kept ending up being the primary people commenting whenever uh, punk science fiction came up. So like talking cyberpunk, talking steampunk, et cetera. So um, a gentleman, uh, John Wesley Hawthorne started a side group with the 18 of us. And after about two months of that, um, another member of that group, um, Asias Gloucester suggested maybe we could do a um, science fiction anthology together or something. Um, so I said, Hey, this is an awesome idea. I love it. And, um, Asias then suggested, well, what about like punk Shakespeare or something? And I jumped all over that said, okay, I want to do the uh, winter's tale, uh, sound. And so that's sound and fury is our first one. Uh, sound and fury, Shakespeare goes punk right on the top there. Mm -hmm. And so I got together with my usual co-author um, and we put out our story for that, came back to the group a couple of months later, said, hey, how's everybody else doing? We've got this story, we're ready to go. And it was just crickets. <laughs> so I kind of took up heading the group, got uh, editors recruited, our really fantastic head editor, uh, Carol Geisander jumped in. Um, Leah Rees, our absolutely amazing uh, illustrator, formatting person, uh, J.L. King, and a bunch of other people really got on board once there was deadline set and some direction. And we managed to get the five stories that made up uh, Sound and Fury together. I have that. Well, I've got the third one, our Edgar Allan Poe one, close at hand a couple years later. Um, and we managed the audio to version is it. different than the audio version for those there listening. Mm -hmm. Um, so we managed to put together okay, the, the five stories of Shakespeare. Uh, went through the full editing process, everything a large press would do, put that out, and was really well received. So, um a while after that, we did a second one, um, Shakespeare Goes Punk 2. Uh, we are about to put out the sixth one. Uh, so the first two were Shakespeare. Third one was Edgar Allan Poe, uh, which has won a number of awards. Um, then English Class Goes Punk. Uh, the most recent one is Hideous Progeny. Classic Horror Goes Punk with Dracula, Frankenstein. Um, I did uh, Carmilla, uh, Jekyll and Hyde, the Sleepy Hollow in there is really good. And we will later this year, when the quarantine ends, be putting out uh, Taught by Time, uh, Myth Goes Punk, with a bunch of myth and folklore um, turned sci-fi adaptations. That's really cool. Like, 
so you said that you get to choose any punk genre. Like you said, sci-fi punk genre. So besides yeah. cyberpunk, what other like science fiction punk dramas are there? Like, can you be like, okay, we're going to go 80s punk, but we're going to do laser. Well, how, how can we make this sci-fi? Can, can we, can you, we use laser swords? <laughs> oh, sure. Does that make well, it sci-fi? <laughs> so specifically the, the, version of punk and we actually at the start of most of the books have a okay what makes something punk science fiction and kind of going back to the um gibson philip k dick um etc the punk is really about an aesthetic so the the whatever it is the cyber the steam needs to be an aspect that helps to drive the setting so you know to make something steampunk that steam technology and the sort of mad science and feel needs to shape the aesthetics of the world. You know, cyberpunk started with this group of at the, the 1960s, you know, three or four authors who kind of collectively said, okay, we don't want to write the Buck Rogers, you know, grand space adventure science fiction that we want to do gritty down to earth shades of gray heroes. Um, and where that feel and that science fiction shapes the whole aesthetic of the setting. And that is kind of the, the father of the modern punk genres. I mean, steampunk grew directly out of that with uh, K.W. Jeter uh, and Blaylock and adherence of Philip K. Dick, you know, con- people who knew each other consciously sort of writing this uh, K.W. Jeter 1987 coined the term steampunk you know, in an interview where he was in trying to just refer to himself and two other people who were also writing uh, Victorian science fiction. Um, and that was the term that kind of stuck on. And so we do a lot of different punks, like the Kiesel punk would be science fiction of the World War II era, you know, where diesel technology drives things and you get those... Um, you know, the, the massive diesel-driven airships and evil empires and all of this stuff, super tanks. Um, you get into Tesla punk, which is, okay, take the, the war of the currents between Tesla and Edison, you know, ramp it up to not way past 11 and just straight to 15 with uh, of all of Tesla's theories about what you could do with electricity. Oh, wire, with had wireless come true. With wireless electricity, with uh, um, with earthquake machines. Here's right the the doomsday machines, and here's what you can do with uh, you know magnetism and yeah. all that stuff. So really, and I mean the the things that are generally considered punk genres out there. Um, there's a big number of them from you know just science fiction to I think just because it is one of the easiest examples for what is or is not punk um, is splatterpunk, which is a, you know, kind of a horror take on punk Mm sci-fi where if you take night of the living dead, that is not punk because, okay, yes, it's a zombie movie, but it's basically the real world. The zombies arise and at the end of it, okay, sure. You have your horror movie. The monsters might return but they're not shaping the aesthetic of the greater world. Whereas Zombieland 
is absolutely splatterpunk because there's a set of codified rules that the characters follow. This is how you live, you know, among zombies. This is the aesthetic. This is the feel of a zombie post-apocalypse. So what for our terms of what is or isn't punk? It's more defined than my hobo punk then. Right, right. Hobo so, punk yeah, is just normal, just just everyday hobo punk. punk I, then, I just made it up right now. I, it's, I'm sure someone uses it, but you know, I'm going to say hobo punks is Salvation Army punk. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Now I'm going to Google see if someone actually yeah, coined that because if not, I'm trademarking saying, it. <laughs> so the most of what we have in the books is either cyberpunk, steampunk, or diesel punk. But we do have a few stories that kind of go beyond the best known three. Okay. So what you know, so this how how did this end up in high schools? Um, so that was actually kind of driven by the high schools. We were at a couple of uh conventions because when there's not the quarantine going on, I do about thirty-one conventions and shows a year. So more weekends than not. And we ran into some teachers and just had them looking through the books. And, okay, this is amazing. Um, you know, can I use this for my classes or have a copy for my uh, classroom or whatever? Like, um, sure. I mean, part of our point here is we're a bunch of classic nerds who love science fiction and fantasy, but we also love Shakespeare, we love the source material. We're, you know, English majors and theater kids, uh, turned writer. So, yeah, absolutely. And then we had a couple of times where just mysteriously on Amazon, we'd get orders of, you know, 35 books at a time or things like that a couple times. And teachers coming to us later saying, hey, you know, I've been using this story or this story and a couple of reviews of talking about how okay you know this is an easy way okay introduce the kids who love the science fiction fantasy but have trouble with the um shakespearean you know late middle english to do this first and okay you can kind of see the story and then you read the original and okay i kind of get that now or i see the themes or Hey, this is kind of a neat way to introduce it or contrast it. Wow. And this and this is part of a charity publishing group? Yes. So as part of the group, we decided that rather than trying to figure out distributing money between the authors, because that's difficult, especially the more people you have involved, the more complex it gets. And then okay, what do the what about the editors? What about the artists? Etc. So we decided that all of the profits um, that are, which is basically the books pay for themselves as far as ordering, they pay for their own advertising, everything on top of that that is profit uh, goes to benefit uh, Paws Animal Rescue in Linwood, Washington. We spent a long time debating, you know, different charities. We decided, okay, you know, nothing. Um, religious nothing political you know because it's a it's a broad group it started with 18 
but our writer punk community now has more than 600 people in it. Mm -hmm. Um, so we decided, okay. And it came kind of came down to, okay, either radio stations, animals, or kids charities. And both of, um, our dogs at the time when we were kind of discussing that, uh, all three of them had come through, uh, pause animal rescue in Linwood. Um, fantastic people. My wife used to volunteer there. And of the people that we were talking to, they were the ones who were the most welcoming and the, yes, absolutely. Come in once a year, take pictures with adorable dogs and cats, post them online, advertise us and advertise you guys. We have adorable spokespeople here that will help sell your books. <laughs> and we'll make it very clear. Yeah, this is a charity effort. Yes, the checks really do go here. You know, here's a picture of me standing, handing a check over to one of their uh, heads, et cetera. You know, so we have that degree of both legitimacy, but also extra visibility and saying, hey, this is a good cause. Wow, that's really, that, that's, that's really cool. And for everyone to agree on a charity, you got to go with animals because who doesn't love animals? Um, and you, you said that you can. Exactly. Uh, um, and I will say I'm really glad that we determined. You're really glad that what? Go ahead. I'm sorry. You were really glad that what? Oh, I'm really glad we decided on the charity when it was uh, just 18 of us instead of after the group kind of exploded in numbers, though. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, it could be really hard. And you sell these books also on Amazon as well, right? Yeah. So um, love them or hate them, Amazon is pretty much an essential part of being an independent author. If you're not backed by one of the big five publishers, um, that's the primary place everything is available. Yeah. Uh, both my regular books and the writer punk books. So you, if you check my Amazon page, um, you'll be able to find any of the ghost punk books. Yeah, it's okay. I have a solution for those that um, that, that don't necessarily want to use Amazon, but you feel like you have to use Amazon. I have a solution. If you go to Smile on Amazon, to no extra cost to you, a little bit of money goes to the charity of your choice. Mm -hmm. And of course, at Media Letter Sandwich, our charity is ED Farm, which is a homeless shelter for recovering veterans. Go to dvfarm.org, check them out. And yes, they're connected to DV Radio, which we're on DV Radio every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm in the chat rooms. Yes, sometimes the website has issues. And if they are, just go to the DV Farm Facebook page and probably put up a, some backdoor links so you can go to the chat room there because that's happened for the past two weeks and if that will happen when this comes out I have no idea because stuff like that happens and yes DV Farm is uh, uh, DV stands for Dysfunctional Veterans the website is sort of still around oh the website's still around the store's still around the Facebook page is now called Veterans Humor but Dysfunctional Veterans the Facebook group is still around and yes, DV Radio has a bunch of other uh, awesome talk shows. I am not on the network, so you will not find me on their podcast apps. But I have my, you know, but I'm on all the podcast apps anyway. So just look up Media Literature Sandwich if you can find the podcast apps. 
And we are on the radio station every Tuesday night. If you want to be the second person to listen to us, if you want to be the first, check out our Patreon. I, I, I'm not going to push Patreon too hard right now because I understand there's a lot of things going on. But, you know, if you want to check out the uncut versions, you can go to the Patreon, look at the tiers. We'll figure something out. And, you know, as I, and I'm sure probably the, um, that charity's on smile dot amazon to see now i'm all messed up smile dot amazon as well because there's so many charities on there mm-hmm. it, that, that had been so freaking hard man to narrow it <laughs> to one get you probably couldn't even imagine even oh, doing yeah. that with, with, there, with there was definitely a discussion like do, do all six of these all 600 of you, these you, writers i'm sorry You cut out for just a moment there, but I think okay. I'm following you again now. Sorry. Does all the writers in, just audio. The, in the group, do they all contribute somehow? Um, no. So, I mean, we welcome lurkers. We wel- we've got a bunch of people who are just proofreading and, you know, read the stories and give feedback. Um, we have a bunch of people who haven't written anything but help with the editing. We have artists. We have people who are just science fiction fantasy fans, so they have, you know, jumped on board. Um, I don't think any of the books are biggest for a number of authors is the 21 authors represented in Edgar Allan Pogo's Punk. Um, but, I mean, even that, there was probably that many, again, proofreaders, editors, artists, et cetera, involved in the process. Because every one of these is not just, okay, write a story, send it in, and it goes in as is. It has to pass through multiple rounds of proofing, multiple rounds of editors, eventually get past our head editor, et cetera. We're not 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 a gutter punk corporation here. We can't take anything. We have a a punky sort of standard you got to go by. We're like we're we're, we're like exactly. we're, we're like crusty punks, man. Th- th- those guys are are so, yeah. The, the crusty punks are, are like the uh, elitists of the punk community. They're not. It's like get out of here. You're a real punk, crusty punk. Get out. You go up there. We're wearing a. Um, I don't know. If you have any idea what I'm talking about? But <laughs> you you could tell a crusty um, punk because you go if you go up with your hair spiked up because I used to like three four foot. Paul Liberty spikes. They're the ones that come up like, how'd you spike it? If you didn't use food product or mopping glow or something, Elmer's glue, something like that, they go, you're not a crusty punk. And right, they go, right. well, this ain't the 80s no more. I don't need to put that stuff in my hair, bro. <laughs> Get out of yep. here. <laughs> no, basically, we just try to follow, you know, pretty much the, the, um, industry process and get stuff out that people are going to want to read and that is of standards to, for example, go into schools. Mm-hmm. So, and overall the reaction and reviews have suggested that we seem to have done a pretty good job with it. That's really cool. That's really cool. Um, what's, what's your favorite Edgar Allan Poe story in, in the anthology so far? It doesn't have to be one that you wrote, but it could be whatever one you want to shout out. I'm curious. Okay. So I will give quick um, nods to two of them really 
quick because my personal favorite Edgar Allan Poe story, and therefore the one I wrote is Mask of the Red Death, that I did a steampunk ghost ship version of for Ooh. that book. Um, but I really, really love our two adaptations of Fall of the House of Usher in there and seeing two really different takes. So uh, particularly uh, Sachin Towers, uh, The Fall of Usher Corp. They're um, in the same book or different volumes? They're in the same book. They're both in uh, Merely This and Nothing More, Edgar Allan Poe Goes Punk. Hmm. We had two different people decide that was the story they wanted to do and both stories were really good. So our editor said, okay, sure. We'll separate them out, but here's two really different takes on all of the house of Usher. Wow. I it has to be very re- different in order to like put them both in the same book. Like was like, what was it like a little bit of a split or was everyone like, yeah, they're good. <laughs> um, Mostly it was, okay, both of you acknowledge if you're going to submit these, somebody else is also doing this one, so they're going to get some extra hard vetting. And then I kind of stepped aside. I don't get involved in the editing part of the process because our team and Carol do an amazing job. And they just kind of came back and said, yeah, these are both really good stories. So we're just printing the both. Nice. So let's go ahead and shift gears, talk about your books here, because sure, I'm sure. talking to you and I know you want to promote all your stuff and I want to know about it. What are, okay. I, 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 it's, and I'm, since they're original stories, I'm, a, I'm, I'm good. Since they're original stories, I'm assume that they're not all punk stuff. They are not all punk stuff. So I did get my sort of start editing my very first published project were my Dawn of Steam trilogy, which are my books for seriously heavy readers. It is a steampunk series that is all epistolary. So it's all letters and journal entries in that Mary Shelley, Jane Austen style of the Regency era, all told through letters and journal entries. Hmm. Um, And that's kind of a world-spanning epic story. So that, while content appropriate for younger readers, reading difficulty wise is mostly aimed older. Um, and then since then I have mostly been doing uh, young adult novels, uh, mostly aimed at about a seventh grade reading level, but appropriate for younger if they're advanced readers. And because what got me super, super excited about reading really early in life uh, was mythology and dinosaurs. Um, I ended up going with a lot of mythology. So I've got Fowler's Fair is the first book of a four book series that is Celtic and Hawaiian mythology based set in Seattle. Uh, Main character is a 16 year old Seattle girl with ADHD who discovers she is half she, the Irish fair folk uses that to become a bard. So she learns to do magic via music and singing. A lot of the series is, kind of a love letter to my time working as a uh, bouncer and security in the music industry in Seattle in the uh, 1990s. So there's tons of Easter eggs and references to alternative rock, punk rock, et cetera, through different ages. Um, And then set in that same world, but 
20 years earlier. So instead of modern day, this series is set in the 90s. Uh, this is, I don't know if you can see it or not, uh, You're Not a Real Goth Until You Stack Rome, <laughs> uh, is the first book of the Gothcraft trilogy that is Norse Germanic witchcraft mythology with a 16-year-old um, questioning, eventually moving to lesbian lead character, um, and heavily centers around her and her two best friends, who are very different. There is a uh, pretty hardcore uh, straight-edge punk as one of her friends in the 90s, since I know that has caught some interest here. So really getting to play with that. And these books, just in terms of the music, are also fun. So each book is 30 chapters, and each of the chapter titles is named for a goth or punk song, um, 1995 or before. So nice. the chapter titles sort of read like a playlist. So I've got those and those, then the, those are always fun Easter eggs. Uh project in the works right now. Book one, uh Dragon Collar is out. Uh book two will be out um in the fall, which will be a foundation of gravestones, and that is uh lesbian space opera with dragons. Now is that also a young adult book? Because I hear that and I was like Hmm, I don't think I could watch this movie in public. Oh, yeah, you absolutely could. There is no sex scenes. There is no graphic violence. It's largely aimed at about 16 and up. Okay. Uh, for that one, so the reading difficulty is a little higher. There's a little bit of language. Um, there's probably a little bit more language if you're a serious polyglot and speak a lot of languages because we use different world influences, but there is no sex. There is no graphic violence. There's, if you're an advanced enough reader, that's just fine. And the, the lesbian part and that aspect of the books with non-neurotypical characters, the first cast, et cetera, is not in any way, you know, suggesting that it's erotica or sex-based or anything else. It's that I try and write the Seattle that I see around me. And, you know, my friends, the people around the city are incredibly diverse with people from all sorts of different populations, the LGBTQ community, the non-neurotypical community. So a lot of that has a way of making it into the books. And it has done... <clears throat> by and large really well with those audiences like foul is fair. We did a bunch of interviews in the lead up with kids, parents, educators with ADHD trying to write Megan's perspective in an identifiable way. And some of the fan mail, some of the responses, things like that have come back really positive on, okay, I can, you know, people saying I can finally see myself in a fictional character or, Hey, I do that thing. Um, so we try to be really careful with it. And none of them are stories intended to be own voices. It's not about being queer. It's not about being a person with ADHD. Right. It's a fantasy or science fiction adventure story that happens to include those characters and be intentionally very inclusive with a intentionally diverse cast and diverse world. Yeah, it's sometimes like 
just mentioning it is like walking on eggshells. Like just talking about the subject could trigger an algorithm where they go, oh, you're talking about a sensitive subject. When we're just talking about dragons and and books, man. <laughs> like we don't oh, even sure. mean anything and, by it. <laughs> or at least I don't. Well, and I, you know, my usual... Sure. I mean, my usual response to that is, okay, again, you know, I'm trying to write people and the people that I hang out with, the people that I live around, the city that I live near are very, very diverse places. And it's important for me to reflect that. And I'm not trying to commandeer anybody's story, but I am trying to write people who happen to be, you know, part of different groups. And I try to treat that respectfully. I tried to do the research. Mm-hmm. And so far, because of that, the the response has been pretty universally positive. Fantastic. I, I that hats off. That I feel like if I put my face on something like, oh yeah, I'm writing about this uh this person of a completely different demographic or even a slightly different demographic than me, I feel like mm-hmm. people are gonna hate on me. <laughs> just because the way they may perceive me or assume who I am. I, I feel like that I don't have the guts to do that because I've oh, even sure. gotten that at conventions where I go talk at a convention and people want to kick me off or I get kicked off because of who they assume I am. Like, well, we don't want you to talk about this because this is more of a topic that uh, this, that, that this genre type person over here or, you know, a different, a you know a different gender or a different dem- demographic uh she talked about and not you it was like I, i'm not gonna ask what you think i am or what you assume i am i'm just gonna take this as i'm not welcomed here sure, <laughs> but, sure. but stuff like that happens oh it, it does and i mean that's part of why i go into it where okay you know that is a concern and it's a legitimate one mm-hmm. and so many portrayals of marginalized communities have been really terrible. Mm-hmm. But it's also important to get those stories out, include those characters, have representation in media. It's just a matter of, okay, so first of all, do your research. Second of all, you know, be respectful. And third of all, you know, write people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do that, do that first and foremost. Who happen to have other aspects, but, you know, you're not writing stereotypes. You're writing well-rounded people with experiences. You know, I do that speaking on panels about representation, and sometimes it's a, okay, I'm here representing the disabled community because I can speak to that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just a, okay, here's how to, you know, pay attention to what you're doing, do the research, listen to people who have those experiences first and foremost. Um, and, you know, it's been a, a learning process, um, but it's also been a very valuable and rewarding one. That's awesome. And plus there's dragons involved. You can't go wrong there's, with dragons. Yes. There is most definitely dragons, dragons and fairies and mythology and references to you know, various gods and all sorts of history. I, I feel like, and you say you do over 30 trade shows, conventions. I feel like, you, you know, on your mm-hmm. banner or even just have, just have signs with keywords on it. 
Greek myths, dinosaurs, dragons. They actually literally have those banners. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) And they probably work. My my business partner made us a couple of banners with, okay, here's some of our book covers and here's the sorts of things in them, you know, where she's got her, you know, the, the knights and dragons and, um, ghosts and stuff and for me it's yeah you know mythology and airships and uh <laughs> gods and all that yeah music hashtag 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 right exactly hey tell me about this military mutant superhero i, I don't know one of the x-men book <laughs> so uh this was one of the first collaborations between uh, lee and i that we put out. It is called Nova Ranger Academy. But no, I mean, it was one of those things that came out of the Gen Con trips. Okay. That we are kicking around ideas. And my housemate has helpfully brought me a copy of Nova Ranger Academy. Uh, Both of us have a lot of veterans in our families. Uh, So this is a story about essentially a world where most of the superheroes belong to uh, special forces ranger units. So a group of kind of generation X heroes, many of whom have ties back to World War II and, you know, their parents, grandparents, et cetera, who were some of the first public superheroes to fight in the war. Um, And right now, as the book is going, some of their oldest kids are just entering uh, basic training. So it kind of tells a story across generations and bringing these characters in um, and talking a little bit about history. You know, we talked to a bunch of veterans, things like that as part of the research, trying to get the language and the feel right. I will say because of your audience, this book has a lot of language and is not appropriate for small (laughs) children uh, because the characters by and large talk the way you will often hear when a bunch of veterans get together. No, we're not dysfunctional veterans at all as I'm wearing a DV shirt. (laughs) uh, And you can catch us on dysfunctional veterans radio, DV radio. I did that spiel. (laughs) But among other things, the book is dedicated to my grandfather, uh, Ira Cook, who uh, did fight in World War II, was, captured and was one of the survivors of the baton death march yeah so you mentioned i i know okay i got questions about this because i'm sure. curious so and, and i should never said x-men i should have said justice society uh <laughs> a little sure. bit closer well, there <laughs> yeah and i mean as much as anything if i were to liken it to anything yeah it would probably be more uh, Justice League or Avengers. These are people who are brought yeah. together. This is their job. They are doing this professionally. So you're saying they, they're superheroes, but they are part of a military branch and they have to go through boot camp. So do they get their, are these natural born superheroes or are yeah, these, these that are, get their powers through, uh, uh, through whatever? So these are, all of them have either gotten powers through accidents or in a lot of cases through legacy their parents their grandparents got powers through whatever means and it has uh, bred true through the different generations one of our biggest 
lines we've got as of the character who gets the most chapters is uh captain kinetic uh captain uh, benjamin sakuda um it's close who, enough to captain cisco that i like it <laughs> um his um grandfather fought in world war ii his father fought and they have sort of passed down leadership of these ranger units where okay when he came in his uh, dad and one of his uh, dad's close uh, friends were in charge of sort of training him up to take over. So when his dad retired, he would become the new captain kinetic and in charge of the squad. Okay, so, so not straightforward military. There's a, there, there's a little bit of lineage thing there, but yes. I, I like world building and I'm really into cape. So, yep. <laughs> so I'm just curious. That That's cool. Yeah, lots of lots of world building and research. I, I assume and, the other and 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 you could totally be like, not yet. You know, I'm sure the other military branch of the other probably are a little bit. They, they sound like they would be a black sheep um, if they're like going off. Well, his, well, he kind of got this because of his his lineage versus they worked hard for it. Not saying that's not one and the same. Not saying, you know, but that's, you, you get military people, oh, yeah. they come in, they're 18. That's exactly the way it looks to them. Oh, yeah. Well, and I mean, we play a little bit with that and we reshape the world because, you know, in some ways, okay, they could drop a platoon on a problem or they can send in, you know, six people with superpowers mm-hmm. to do the same thing. So it is sort of reshaping the way that the army is going about some of their approach and shaping, you know, military command structure, uh, military approach to problems, you know, what is and isn't a thing to send the, the supers on and expose them to. And okay, once you have these people, you know, how do you keep them contained if they, um, you know, decided to be a problem or whatever else, what's the, what are the fail safes? So, you know, we play with some relatively dark themes in the book. We go back to some of the darkest times in history. Like I said, these, these are not for kids, but there is a lot of world building and playing with some of those themes. <laughs> That's awesome. And so I'm assuming that you're a full-time writer. That, and it's, yes. Okay. Yes, this, is, this is my full-time job. Um, and you know it's sometimes very very you know long regular hours to get books out they all go through the process of going through beta readers going through editing etc that you know press would do so we do take a professional approach to it um just like with the the charity press i do a lot of co-writing i'm uh wrote for a very long time a lot of books with uh, Catherine Perkins, who was my co-author on the Fair Folk and the Gothcraft and a few other books. I'm working a lot with my uh, current business partner, Lee French, on the Star Drifter series. And we've got a gigantic project in the works uh, to start releasing next year after uh, Star Drifters is done. Mm-hmm. So we will be working together for a few years to come at least. Very awesome. Um, 
So what's your favorite sci-fi? What, what's, what's some sci-fi movies that you wish were made? Well, let's see. So I would love to see uh, Session Towers Mad Science Institute mm-hmm. uh, series made into movies because those books are just so full of action and fabulous characters and a non-neurotypical uh, 16-year-old girl as a lead which I always support where the author did uh, really, really well putting that together. Uh, so that is way up there on my list. Oh, your light turned on. I was expecting you to turn into a vampire. But I, <laughs> sorry, video version is different than the audio version. <laughs> yep. No, my uh, housemate just turned the uh, light on in here. <laughs> uh, so that would be one of them. I would love to see probably out of my stuff either uh, Gothcraft or Fair Folk turned into something with a lot of uh, music and things like that. I've had the the great joy the last uh, wait, wait, three wait. four so years. I know nothing of your book Gothcraft, but you saying a musical with the title Gothcraft? I don't think that can fail. <laughs> right, a super musical number Gothcraft. Maybe maybe throw some puppets so in there. Gothcraft. Yeah, Am I saying that right? Is the trilogy okay? Hmm? I just I just want to make sure I was saying Godcraft that right. Is the, the, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's the series that starts with uh, "You're not a real goth until you sack Rome." It's the one oh, with yeah. all of the chapter titles are uh, song references, and so you know that series has a lot of references wow. to eighties and nineties uh, goth and punk music. That would be and really cool. If, if Ralph Bocci was still doing cartoons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, some of those I would love to see like the, the TV series or, you know, a longer style series, whether live action or animated or whatever would be a lot of fun. Um, so I'd love to, I would love to see that, but, you know, in general, um, I would love to see more uh, indie creators get a chance to see some of their, their stuff and stop seeing, you know, the, the biggest name stuff or the, the biggest properties done over and over again. Um, you know, I do love movies. I especially love um, going to the theater and just having the, the experience and immersion um, aspect but there are a lot of really good books out there uh, by smaller creators for less known authors that I think would be a lot of fun to uh, see. What's the furthest you traveled for a convention? Uh, the single furthest I have traveled is Washington DC okay. for awesome con three years ago. Um, but other than this year, because it just canceled, uh, this would have been Lee French in my uh, fifth road trip to Gen Con in Indianapolis. Oh, I've heard nothing uh, basically, but gr- great stuff about Gen Con. I've never been. I've been offered a press pass before. I, I should go sometime. <laughs> heard, so heard every, it's fantastic. Every year it has been a thing that we pack up her uh, hybrid full of books and we spend uh, two or three weeks on the road together. Uh, hitting Gen Con, usually a gas money convention in Spokane or Denver or something like that on either the way to or the way back um, in order to go and work in Author's Alley at uh, 
Gen Con every year. So that's always a big thing. And it's started out as a, hey, this sounds like a fantastic opportunity and we locked into a table and it has turned into, okay, it's a neat experience, but it's really all about the two of us as business partners being stuck in a car together for uh, two or three weeks and coming up with ideas and filling like three notebooks full of the things we'd like to do and outlines and characters and the stuff that's going to turn into, you know, multiple series over the next uh, bunch of years. So it's like one person talking and the other person just taking a bunch of notes. Like, uh, how do you take turns driving in that uh, atmosphere? I mean, it sounds I, well, like really cool that you can work like that. Cause I know some people like I'm driving, man. I, I, I don't know my, my I'm sleeping. I, I, I don't know. That's not how my mind works on a road trip. And then you got the communication and you got idea, idea. I, how, how do you fill up three notebooks? Like how do you stay that focused? Well, so as part of my disability, I'm not able to drive. So she does all the driving. Um, so I'm taking notes. And then every time we stop for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, she then puts her ideas. So make sure that I miss anything, puts a lot of things in her vastly superior handwriting, <laughs> um, organizes things a little bit better. Um, because I mean, that really is part of where the points where we work well together is, um, okay, you know, give me an idea and I will fill up three or four pages really, really rapidly. And then she's much more organized and prone to, okay, here's the details. Here's the questions we need to ask. Um, but I mean, one of her favorite convention stories now is about how, okay, if she leaves me unsupervised, there will be another two notebook pages uh, full of stuff. Um, based on one of the things that's going to be coming out in the next couple of years, probably, and a uh, thing in uh, Spokane this last time. So, but yeah, I do most of the the initial notes. She follows up, and then she gives me a ton of stuff to do the research on and turn into twelve to twenty page outlines for kind of organization, story beats, stuff like that. Uh, before it'll go back to her. Okay, so what's one of your favorite stories that happens at a, that happened at a trade show? Um, okay, so one of the since I just referenced it, uh, this is Lee's new new favorite story. So last year on the trip to Gen Con, um she was just kind of flinging stuff out to pass time while we were waiting for Gen Con to open up and saying, okay, well, you know, what about a book with this and this and this? And I'm like, yeah, okay. Okay. I can do that. And she's just trying to get increasingly ridiculous. <laughs> and that was just her whole point is, um, okay. Trying, trying to stump me or whatever else. And it was just, you know, us um, being ridiculous and passing the time um, with, you know, okay, we have 15 minutes to kill. But okay, you know, we, we then um, finished Gen Con, but this has now sort of become a thing. 
Uh, Where it's just like, let me think of the most ridiculous thing and if he takes me seriously or not. Hmm. So (laughs) we finish Gen Con. We go back on the road and we're doing kind of the gas money convention in Spokane. Mm -hmm. And for various reasons, there was long gaps where it was pretty quiet. So she was kind of doing that again and doing her usual thing of, okay, so... I think this would sell really, really well if we had a book with, okay, a cat on the cover because cats sell books. And I'm like, yeah, okay, <laughs> no problem. She says, okay, and a dragon. Okay, a cat and a dragon, no problem. This is pretty standard at this point. Okay, and um, princesses, but, you know, with some uh, actual autonomy, and you know, as main characters. Okay, sure, cat, dragon, princesses. You're not even challenging, you know, this isn't even challenging. That's fine. Okay, now it should be a bunch of princesses who take turns rescuing each other. Okay. She says, and then it should be like Sucker Punch, but good. (laughs) And then she gets interrupted by one of the con people and turns around for about half an hour talking to the lady doing a bunch of the con publications. And she turns back around and there's three notebooks full of, (laughs) and, you know, really rough outline of, okay, here's four characters, main characters in this situation who are princesses that uh, rescue each other through these stories who bond over, you know, okay, four girls in foster care who bond over the care of a stray cat that they have named Dragon. Um, (laughs) And they tell each other stories about how they're all secretly instead of this terrible life, they are all actually secretly princesses in trouble and kind of take turns rescuing each other. And, you know, obviously, you know, in the back and forth became much more developed, but now just her, I can't leave you unsupervised for 30 minutes uh, story, or there'll be a new book idea. So that's where the stuff for the eventual Princess Rescuing Society series that starts with the book, A Cat Named Dragon, um, we'll start with. Oh, that's funny. Hey, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Go ahead and once again, prop out everything. Prop out anything you want to prop out. Okay. Uh, I am uh, Jeffrey Cook. I am an independent author with uh, 23 books to my name right now. Uh, You can find everything under my name at uh, Amazon. Uh, but also you can find m- both my work and the works of three other fantastic authors, uh, Lee French, Fetchin Tower, and Nikki McCormick at uh, clockworkdragon.net. So highly recommend that. You can also find everything for the Ghost Punk charity anthologies that we spent a good deal of time um, on on that site and also at uh, Punk Writers or check out uh, Writer Punk on Facebook. Once again, I'm Toden with Toden's Media Letters Sandwich. Please comment, rate, subscribe, follow, write reviews, share with your friends. If anyone you know might get a kick out of this, and who wouldn't, uh, besides people that say they can't read. But <laughs> this is a good reason. Hey, send this to them. Maybe they'll be like, yeah, it does sound a little interesting. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed our conversation and may the algorithms be in your favor. And the next episode of Media Litter Sandwich. Hi, guys. My name is Jack Heasling. 
Um, and like you said, I'm, I'm a writer and, uh, I do have a Mohawk you can't see it, but it's pink and it's called the fists of Arkin. There's a bunch of stuff in there that, uh, veterans specifically pick up on just little nitnoid pieces from, uh, you know, military doctrine that I threw in there. You can't have any punny if you don't eat your meat.